everybody, it's Rob Lollisher. Welcome to the Top Cheddar Podcast. Camp Moon, how you doing there, Mooner? All right, doing great. Doing being, great, folks. I wish you could have seen his his fancy little move he did as he as he That's right. <laughs> answered that question. All right, Mooner, another great episode coming up. Fun guest we had on. Uh, we we gently referred to him. I don't want to, you know, spoiler alert here, but uh, guy was a Calder Cup magnet, and and yes, he uh, was. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Jay Henderson's our guest on today's Top Cheddar podcast. Uh, it was a fun one. Yeah, he had some yeah. great stories. Yeah, great stories. Uh, a real uh, student of the game of hockey uh, had to work his way up, and he worked his way up. And uh, really carved out, I thought, a, a solid professional career. So yeah, it's a, it, it's a, it's a good visit with Jay Henderson. It's a very good visit. And and before we get to that visit, folks, remember, super uh, happy, you know, proud to have our our sponsor of the show, Twiggenberries.ca, all the men's apparel, folks. Uh, I'm I'm sure you've uh, been for a visit, but now it's time to get the shopping cart out. Yep. Get back for that visit. Whether it's for yourself or whether it's for a, a fellow you know, friends, family, there's there's some great gifts. This is a Canadian company, folks, and and they've got everything from from hoodies, underwear, their own brand nutsack to uh, you know toques, bomber bomber toques. Hopefully, we don't need the toques too much longer here, eh, Amos. Hopefully not, and no, hopefully not. But yeah, their stuff's great. The shirts, they're so comfy. I love the shirts. Nice, nice. And uh, when the wind's blowing, we know Mooner, Mooner needs that coverage on oh. his dome there. And uh, they, they got the, uh, again, it's not uh, balmy summer weather yet here in Canada. So they got the good stuff no. there, folks. I appreciate a good block heater. A and good, block, good heater. block heaters, okay, AKA I a toque. I won't touch that joke, but uh, uh, <laughs> and folks, we, <laughs> we got a great, uh, uh, I uh, can't even think what uh, <laughs> we got. <laughs> hey, we had a wonderful we got a code. We got a code for you to use at the end that you'll yes. save 15%. And uh, yeah, tell them Mooner sent you. Okay, Mooner. That's right. Let's talk to Jay. You ready to go? Ready to go. Let's do it. Jay, you're a WHL grad, four seasons in the Western League. Uh, you go from playing AAA Bantam to the WHL with the Red Deer Rebels. Let's talk about that jump. You were, and you were part of a group. I know there was a, a, a good solid group of 16 year olds with the Rebels that year. Tell me what it was like going to the WHL at that age. Yeah, to be honest with you, I did go to Red Deer expecting to make the team that year. I was just going to leave a good impression. Uh, timing probably worked out very good for me. We had, you know, Jesse Wallen, Aaron Asham, Mike Whitney. Uh, there was five of us. Who am I missing? Lance Ward. Lance Ward. So the five of us. So it was a pretty good group to be in. And as far as yeah. coming into a, an opportunity where you're not too nervous, having a bunch of young guys around and back in the day, the Western League, we all know what it was like. Right. So it was a per perfect opportunity for me. And uh, like I say, it worked out great. Did that help you grow your game because there were so many young guys there at the same time? I definitely believe so. I'm sure the coaching staff and some of the older players were probably very frustrated at the time, but as a, as a young group coming up, I think obviously they were building towards a, a Mem Cup and that was their plan at the time. So I definitely think it helps. And we, we took our lumps a little bit that first year, of course, but that's going to happen every time you have a young team, right? No doubt. Yeah. And, and you guys did. 
<laughs> you most certainly did, but you learn and you get placed in positions that, you know, most first year players don't see as much ice time as you guys did. Uh, moving to, to year two, how much do you think that helped you when you were, you were in your, your 17 year old year? I think, like I say, I think that first year you lose it, you use it for learning and, you know, to get your feet wet and new school, new billets and stuff like that. But that second year I was coming in to obviously earn more ice time. That, that was important to me at that age, being a 17 year old and, you know, the, a year away from the draft was important to me. So I needed that ice time to, to obviously show well and perform where I needed to. So I went with a different mindset. Obviously that first year, like I said earlier, I didn't expect to make it second year. My goal was to make it and be a, a key contributor. And you guys, uh, you can see the the adjustment, the maturation of the players, because that next year you guys were uh, were quite a bit more improved. Uh, and then it, it led to a to a win in the playoffs against uh, Swift Current, if I if I recall, in the first round. Uh, how I, I think that was the first playoff round win of the Rebels franchise. What was that like? Yeah, that was obviously my first time being involved in a playoffs like that. And uh, obviously, who was loading up on some just for men to get our beards looking as good as we could. Yeah. That was the important part, nice. right? But being a <laughs> we're, 17 year We're using a Sharpie that, to darken it up a little. Yeah, I would uh, take everything I had that time, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, like I say, that, uh, it was a learning year. But I think to, to win that first round against Swift Current and to see the excitement and to, I guess, get your feet wet of what to expect moving forward. And after that year, obviously I got picked up by the, the Edmonton Ice in the expansion draft, but I know Red Deer went on and, and having that in their back pocket, I think definitely helps for sure. Yeah. That, so you go to the Edmonton Ice, it's a, an expansion team at that time playing at the Agricom. Uh, yep. And yeah, it had to be a, had to be a tough year because I, I know the, the wins were a little, a little hard to come by, but what was that like going to uh, an expansion team with a, a bunch of guys from that played on different clubs the year before? At the time, I was very upset. Uh, you know, I was crying an emotional kid. I, I grew up in Red Deer, I spent two years there, and you know, I liked the direction our team was going. But looking back, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Obviously, um, you know, I, I went from third, fourth line in Red Deer, and that was where I belonged. It wasn't like I was, you know, looking for something I didn't deserve. But then going to Edmonton, the opportunity that presented itself, I think, was probably the best thing for me, where I went from a role player to obviously with more ice time contributing on the power play. So no question, my confidence definitely improved. And looking back, I'm glad the opportunity was there for me. But at the time, obviously, I didn't feel it was right. But looking back, and I, I think things do happen for the right reason. You get drafted by Boston after that first year in Edmonton. Uh, tell me about the... The draft, were, were you at home? Were you in uh, in Sherwood Park at the time? I was, thank God. That would have yeah. been a long, long day if I went to the draft, right? <laughs> but <laughs> look, uh, my agent at the time, he said, you know, I was thinking I was ranked somewhere in the, in the sixth round, somewhere like that anyways, higher up, down. And he said, there's no point going, you know, and I knew that. I wasn't going to sit there watching the janitor sweep up as they're still calling names, right? Yeah, so yeah. That was the last thing I it's wanted. It's me or you, was, janitor. One of us yeah. is going next. <laughs> <laughs> right. Trying to hit me in the feet, get me out of there. But yeah. it was um, it was a great thing. Obviously, I was excited to get picked. I didn't didn't want to wait as long as I did. But uh, I thought the draft was over and I didn't get selected. So obviously, to hear that phone ring, it was uh, it was a great thing. And looking back, I say it was a, a great thing for me. And the opportunity, again, being with Boston worked out perfect for me. That last year of junior... You're, you're with the Edmonton Ice. You, you lead the team in points. Uh, 
how did you feel your game had changed like from your first year in the WHL to now being, you know, one of the, the go-to guys being, being one of the players really counted upon. It my, my it definitely changed for sure. That's what I wanted though. So it was, it was welcoming with open arms, right? It was one of those things where I put the work in, I worked out hard every summer. I, I felt I was ready. My, my body was in shape. I had the speed with my legs and the strength to do what I had to do. So confidence wise, I felt great. And then again, getting the opportunity, it's, that's all you can ask for in hockey is the opportunity. Like you have to earn it again, but the opportunity when it presents itself, you got to capitalize. And I feel I did a good job doing that and things worked out for me for sure. And then you go from playing in the WHL, the season ends and, and you, you guys don't make the playoffs. So usually for the, the guys that are drafted or, or have pro contracts, now you're going to slide over to the, to the pro side, which you did. You got to go to the American Hockey League with uh, Providence. What was uh, being, uh, you know, the end of your 19-year-old year, what was that like for you? It was a difficult decision because I had the opportunity. They asked me if I wanted to get traded at the deadline to go to contender. And obviously, to go far in the playoffs, that was one thing that intrigued me a little bit. But I'm also a very loyal guy. And I didn't want to leave somewhere where I felt that they were good to me. And I get as an organization, there's, you know, they can benefit from bringing in players or getting the trade and stuff like that. So I do understand that side of it, but I also understand the loyalty part. And I've always been that way where people are loyal to me. I try to be loyal back. So it was one of those things where I was, I felt obligated to do my best for them and I didn't want to leave. But of course, if they want to move me, that's up to them. That's the business. And I get that. But one of those things I wanted to give them to them and we didn't make the playoffs after that second year, uh, the opportunity presented itself for me to to sign up a National Hockey League contract and go down to the last 11 games to join Providence. So it was eye-opening again, a lot bigger, a lot stronger, and a lot more facial hair. Um, but I do think I benefited going up for those last 11 games just for the fact that going to the count the next year, I had a little bit of pro experience under my belt and knew what to expect. Yeah, that had to help a lot. And, and then yeah. your first, I mean, full pro career, went pretty or first pro uh, season in your career it went pretty good like you you played in Providence you guys won the Calder Cup you got some games with the Boston Bruins like what was that season must have been amazing it was a dream come true that last like I said the last uh, year I went up for those 11 games to Providence Providence had the worst team in the league they were not good at all to be to be honest right yeah. so um, obviously going that second year or back to Providence for that camp, the second year, I somewhat expected the same and to go to camp and obviously the, the Boston Bruins campus run top notch. But once the camp ended for Boston and the American league uh, camp started when they send everyone down, it was just a, a different feeling. Peter Labulette was his first year who was a coach there that year. So it was just a, a great feeling. And I think everything lined up for the, the right reason. We had great leadership. Um, the guys who were there the year before, um, were key guys and contributed very well. So it was one of those things that just worked out very well and confidence grew as the season went. And it, it was just one of those years that it felt like it was meant to be. You got to tell me about the first game in the National Hockey League. You got to give me the whole scenario. Like, were you, were you in the American League at that time? Did you get the call up? You got to tell me where it was. Like, describe for me this first game. Dream come true. Like, you know, everyone says... Yeah. You know, I used the phone call. I remember just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. And then I put the phone down, and I didn't remember anything that I had to do or where I had to go. So, I thought, oh, what city are we playing in? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Where am I right now? Right. So, um, it, it was a dream come true, and I remember 
the things that go through your mind is I got to call my mom and dad and my brother and, and the people that support you all along the way. You, you feel you want to say thank you for because you wouldn't be there without all their help. Right. So was, my first game was against Montreal. I remember getting the call. I was in my apartment in Providence and <laughs> the first Nokia that came out. Right. So it wasn't yeah. a caller ID and stuff like that. So I had no idea who was calling me. And uh, ended up being Mike O'Connell from the, the GM for the Boston Bruins and said, congratulations, you got called up and we need you in Montreal tomorrow. So, again, it was one of those days where a dream come true and like I, I was getting your feet wet and the opportunity was there to see what the next level was like, right? And that was the biggest thing for me. And the, the opportunity to say I dressed for one game in the National Hockey League, for me, is a dream come true. Were you at least able to get in the night before? I got in the night before, but say the, the night of no sleep, I may, may as well just driven myself to the rink, right? So I didn't get a lot of sleep. On the it was, you try to pretend you're mature and you're all good and yeah, nothing bothers you, but it was a very sleepless night. And of course, you you feel a little bit nervous, well, a lot nervous being there and you want to perform well and prove that you do belong there, right? So those are the things that go through your head and just the opportunity and I hope is a long one, not a short one. And all those thoughts go through your mind, right? So what's How'd the uh... game go? Oh. Yeah, well, even back up, Mooner, yeah. walking into that dressing room the first, what oh. what memory stands out walking yeah. into the Bruins dressing room? Well, I mean, we're in Montreal, right? One of the best. And my grandpa was a Montreal fan, not that I ever was, but my grandpa was. And it was one of those things where he wasn't around, obviously, at that time. But my mom was, she felt it was him looking down and, you know, winking on me and the uh, opportunity nice. itself in Montreal. But um, obviously, if all those buildings in NHL are, are fantastic, right? But I know especially being in Boston after the Boston Gardens was there. And then uh, obviously Montreal having that new rink with the, the, the forum was spectacular for me. And just to walk into that locker room and guys like Ray Bork. And I mean, those are guys you, you grew up collecting hockey cards of. And, and now you, you try and pretend you're not nervous around them. It's not exactly the easiest thing to do. <laughs> do I get him to sign the card before the game? <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, when do I, or right? after the game? <laughs> <laughs> walking well, yeah, that fine line. Fine, I don't know. Yeah, walking the fine line of playing with these guys or asking yeah. them for their autographs them. yeah yeah, yeah. Down well, how the, exciting yeah yeah it was like i say it's a dream come true and the, the opportunity was was fantastic and i i owe a lot of people a, a lot of gratitude and thank them for for where they they helped help me get to obviously and then uh, did you get any home games in like your that first year that you got nhl games in did you get to play any in boston yeah, my first year I ended up playing four games, which yeah. obviously isn't a lot. But uh, I mean, you're up there for let's say it's four games. You're you're there for two, three weeks. So you're there for the three weeks yeah. of, of practice, and so you're learning the system. You're learning with the players. So you are there. It's not like you get sent up and called down just for the afternoon to come in, so we have enough bodies for warm up. So to be there and to to get those two, three, four weeks at a time, uh, the practice time is probably the most beneficial for for an NHL player. Of course, everyone looks forward to the games and you know, power play time and contribute where they can offensively. But to me, they, you, you, you're, you, I guess you learn to, to play the proper way during those weeks where you're playing with those guys. And it's a fast paced practice. There's someone in your, your space at all the time. Right. So you do learn and the more practice time you get to, for me, it definitely helped. And that next year, wow. You, you kind of really took off in that, that next season, the second in team points with Providence, you got in 16 games with the Bruins uh, were you at that point, like, were you feeling that, okay, I'm really starting to figure out the pro game. Like it just seemed to keep, keep going up. What, uh, what changed in your game for that type of success? 
the opportunity to get called up to the NHL definitely helps with the confidence and to be able to somewhat contribute while you're there. That was the biggest thing. It's not like you're going up to play one or two minutes and you know, as long as you go and you finish your one check on your shift, you're good. And um, so me, it was, it was the opportunity to, to be in the NHL level and to learn the game, but also I had some pretty good line mates in Providence that year ended up being Jason Krog and Peter Ferraro as well. So the, yeah. the three of us, we ended up developing quite a bit of a chemistry together and worked out well. And the opportunities when we were together, we, we contributed very well. And I ended up playing, I think it was 16 or 17 games that year in the NHL. So it was kind of a, an up and down. But when we were there, the, the confidence was great. And, and again, we had Peter Laviolette as our coach that year. So it was, um, you learn a lot from coaches like that. And I'm sure he probably said the same thing learning the pro game. But um, there's definitely a reason he is where he is and he deserves to be there for sure. Were those 16 games, Jay, a big chunk or, or was it a, a constant up and down through the season? Yeah, I'd say probably about half and half. Um, okay. if the big chunk is nice. I remember the one year, I, it was during the All-Star break. So I played the game before the All-Star break. And of course, there was a freeze on. And to me, I had the biggest smile on my face, right? So there's not, they can't do anything with you for those three days. And <laughs> you're getting paid for an extra three days. So it's like being in jail. You're just, you know, and, and you're not even practicing, right? So. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was one of those things. It's nice to have the, the bulk of time for the practice time. Obviously, the money's important as well. But it's probably about half and half where you're up for, you know, four games due to an injury and then you go back down and another injury or a suspension or whatever may happen, right? So it's probably half and half. As a guy that, you know, slugged it out for four years in the WHL, riding the buses all over the frozen tundra and then spending time in the American League, when you get to the NHL, the travel, the way you're treated, all those sorts of things. Uh, how much did you enjoy that having, you know, gone the playing in the WHL as, as far as travel goes, it's about as tough as it gets. So how much did you enjoy it when you would be up? Oh, it's crazy. I mean, to sit and you're on a charter flight with shrimp cocktail, you know, and of course, you try not to put them all on your plate because people are looking at you, right? But it's top notch and the NHL is it's run professionally. It's nothing better. Right. And, and to say that, that going back to the Western league though, those are some of the fondest memories you yeah. have in the Western league. Right. So yeah, ideally you're, you're not, it's not great for your body and you're, you're, you're stiffing up and you're on a long bus ride, but there's something comes out of being on those bus rides too. And it's obviously the ages help. It's not like if I was on that bus and being, you know, 35 years old, that's a little bit different, but um you learn a lot and you develop the, the chemistry with your team throughout those hours too but in saying that i was happy to let it go as well right the opportunity with the being on a charter flight to, with boston dream country <laughs> goodbye bus <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well and the other thing that blows me away is that when you're out on the east coast like boston or any of the any of the nhl cities on the east coast the travel is so much less where you're playing so many games where you know, with the, with the charter flight after the game, you're home, you know, an hour after you're like, it just, it, uh, compared to like a, an LA, a Vancouver and Edmonton, a Calgary, the, the travel out there and you would have experienced it, uh, is just, it's not a ton, is it? No. And that was, I mean, obviously I had a chance to play in Milwaukee and Houston after the fact, and, you know, being, being in, uh, in Providence, it was basically like an hour and a half. It'd be like playing Red Deer on a, on a weekend game and being home in your bed an hour and a half later, which was great. And it's easier in the body and you're getting better nutrients in your in your body and the food and stuff. But uh, it, it's, it was definitely a lot nicer being in that division than, you know, being in Milwaukee where you're traveling six, seven yeah. hours. It's, it was nice to be in your bed for the most nights. 
Um, I don't think there's many nights that year. I think there was two or three trips where we didn't sleep in our bed, but for the most part, we were back in our beds and, and that's great. I mean, ideally that's where you like to be. Right. Yeah, that is nice. Now you got to explain to me the old one Oh two season. Uh, you didn't play what, uh, was it injury related? What was the, the deal? Yeah, it was injury related. I ended up, uh, perforating a disc. Uh, well, I had one disc in my neck, but my, my knee had some problems with my knee as well. Uh, patellar tendon realignment done. Uh, just before camp that year, I ended up going to Boston and had him looking at my knee and decided that it was probably best to, to at least go in and look at it, see what was going on. So the first time they went in, did a quick scope and, and saw the damage of the of the knee itself. So the decision was mine. Do we do it now? It's, you're going to miss the full year. But, you know, in order to, to get that step back to where you need it and, and you need healthy again this surgery is recommended. So it was a very tough decision. Obviously you don't want to miss any time. And it was after a, a decent year or two, right? So I was excited going into that year and then to miss a full season. It's tough because people forget about you in the hockey world. That's just the way it is. And yeah. as, as hard as that is to understand if you're gone for a year or even if you're suspended or whatever, you're basically in the back and no one's even worrying about you. Okay. Who's next up, right? It's always that next up guy mentality. So um, it was tough for me missing a full year missing a full year of hockey is difficult no matter what the reason is, especially injury. So I had to work extra hard to, to get back to where I was at least prior to that surgery. And in looking back, I, I don't think I ever did to get my, my strength back to where I needed it. I got it to where I could play and stuff, but, uh, looking back, yes, I needed the surgery. Do I wish there was something else that at the time could have been done? Yeah, but I was still able to play after that. So I am grateful for that as well. When you look yeah. back, Jay, I'm curious on that missing a year. Do you do you miss it in Boston? Do you miss it in Providence, or are, are you sent home? Like, what what did you do to try and stay connected to the team that way? Yeah, to keep my sanity, it was. I, I went down. My my surgery was in uh, September in Boston, so I was there doing some rehab afterwards, probably for for two months, and you know, get all the stitches out and make sure I'm doing the. The, the rehab with the training, right? So that was the, the trainers were, were big for me. I was in Providence after that uh, when I got back from the surgery. Uh, right before Christmas time, I, I ended up flying home to be with my family, which is obviously very important to me. Um, I, sp I spent a couple of months at home, just a little bit of light, uh, you know, it was tough because I couldn't do too much with my knee, but uh, they gave me exercises. And looking back, I remember the biggest thing for me, was, my knee was so itchy where the incision was. And it, it just could never reach the edge. And that was the worst thing for me, right? And I remember the, the, the one trainer said, the best thing you can use is a, a face cloth. It has little ridges on it and it, it doesn't hurt. So I remember just going nonstop with the face cloth. Oh, yeah. Back and forth, right? But yeah, I ended up spending most of the time in Sherwood Park, which is still home for me. Um, and then once the closer to the end of the season, I ended up going back down to work with the trainers and, and getting the strength back to where I needed. So I, I roamed all over the place to answer your question, but yeah. uh, it ended up being well. I didn't get uh, too bored of one place for sure. Right on. That next year, uh, you move around a little bit in the American League, but you end up in Houston, and then you're on a Calder Cup team again, uh, seven games against Hamilton. Uh, take me through that playoff run. What was that like? It was awesome. So to take you back to the beginning of that year, you know, I started at the beginning of the year in Providence and ended up getting traded from the, the Boston Bruins to the New York Rangers. And ended up in Hartford with my old friend Ryan McGill, who I, I coached with and played with, yeah. so a little bit of history there. I ended up being in Hartford for, for about three weeks, I think it was. And I remember getting the call in and said, yeah, you've been traded to uh, Minnesota. Okay, great. So I'm trying to do the math in my head. Who's Minnesota's farm team, blah, 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 right? And ended up finding out it was Houston and worked out very well. And 
knew knew some guys there and the weather was nice and wearing flip-flops and sandals every day was uh, like a dream come true right other than the traffic houston was was absolutely amazing um had the opportunity to work with todd mcclellan which obviously is pretty good uh some history there as well right so i definitely benefited from some a lot of good coaches and, and opportunities that timing worked out very well for me how good was that team obviously a calder cup championship but uh, when you went there could you instantly tell that okay, this is a team that has a shot? Yeah, it was. And it was one of those teams I liked where we could have played any way you wanted. We could wear you down. We could blow you out offensively. And if you want to, to be rough and tough, we could play that way too. And those are some of the best teams you can play on, right? It's It, it breaks up the year from being monotonous. It, it gives you a little break from, you know, one day you're skating hard, the next day you're you're throwing punches. So as, as a player, I, I liked playing that way. And it was one of those things where – yeah, you, you, we'll talk to the team beforehand. Let us know which way you want to play, and then let us know, and then we'll beat you that way. It was, so it was it was a great team, and and to have the coaching and some of the high end skill that I was fortunate enough to be with was it was a dream. It, it worked out very well, and of course, anytime you can win a championship, that's uh, the ultimate goal, right? And then the next year, you do it again. <laughs> well, again. But, but in Milwaukee, <laughs> well, people are starting to expect things, right? <laughs> You're a Calder no, Cup magnet. I was going to say, no, they, they, uh, there's our guy. We want the Calder. <laughs> Let's get Jay. Yeah, that's, and that, I think that's probably what happened in Milwaukee. I remember I didn't have a contract after that year in Houston. I was just waiting around. And I remember my agent called and said, yeah, I got uh, an opportunity in Milwaukee on a, a, a PTO, which is a player tryout agreement. Yeah. And I said, well, I, I got to start because I'm sitting around and the longer I wait, the worse it is for me. So I ended up going to uh, Milwaukee and my roommate ended up being Scotty Upshaw. So that worked out pretty well for me as well. Yep. Nice. Great guy. And that year in, in Milwaukee was absolutely phenomenal. Some of the leadership we had, a guy like, like Tony Herkes was there. And I remember him telling me stories. His first roommate in Montreal was Guy Lafleur, right? So just to have oh, guys boy. like that and, and, and being in the American League where everyone wants to kind of sh share their stories and, and don't take each other too, too serious, right? It was one of those years where it was just a fantastic year. And to have some, and I grew up watching Tony Herkus when he was playing for the Oilers, right? So I knew very well of him. And it was just neat to, to see that year. And again, everything came together for us and worked out very well. And again, we, ended up, we were fortunate enough to win another Memorial, or uh, sorry, Calder Cup. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and then you go back to Providence the next year. It's like yeah, you went full circle. Yeah, that was a, one of the most fun years I've had. That was the lockout year, my last year in North America. Uh, ended up playing with Patrice Bergeron that year on, on his line to start the season, too, which for me was wow. phenomenal. What, what a class guy and, and true leader. And that was his second year. He played the, as an 18-year-old in Boston. And, then, of course, with the lockout, they ended up sending him down for the 2004-2005 season. So um, we had a very good team that year. It was one of those teams that cared about each other and just wanted to fight for each other and grind it out and, and play the ugly way, which is good. But then we had some high-end guys like Bergeron, which for me, I felt it was sort of my job to help protect him. That's I think that's part of the reason they brought me in. And I wasn't that stupid to realize if I didn't, I would probably be out of a job, right? So mm -hmm. um, I ended up being well. And, and to watch a guy like that and see the, the success he's had since then, it's it's phenomenal. And I feel very fortunate and to be able to tell my kids I played with Patrice Bergeron in, in the lockout year, which is a pretty cool story, right? right and then on. over to Europe. Uh, you spend time in the DEL in Germany. You were in Austria. You were in uh, England. I, I know it's it's got to be so different from playing in North America. Not as many games. Uh, the travel's probably not nearly as bad. Uh, what was it like? How'd you enjoy it over there? I loved it. I think the biggest thing for me is you, you hear some of the horror stories before going over there. I remember that in the 2004-2005 lockout season, 
one of the players on our team ended up coming back from Russia and he told the, the horror story of when he got there. And uh, we, we got time, so I'll go into it. He said, yeah. it was yeah, let's story. hear this story, please. Yeah, and I'll try and keep the language down. So I do apologize. Uh, he said when he, when he had his long flight to, to Russia, wherever he was landing in Russia, he said he landed in the airport and there was a guy with a, basically a, a huge gun standing outside the airport, right beside the taxi cab. And he goes, I had a hundred dollars us on me. So this is all the money I had at that point in time. I didn't know what to expect. So, um, I, you know, I finally get into this taxi and he takes me to my apartment. I don't have any conversation with this guy. He doesn't speak any English. So we end up coming out with this big brick concrete wall. And there's a guy standing with a, a rifle outside my apartment door, like a shotgun. And he goes, I was, pick my words here carefully. He goes, I was scared for my life. I have no idea. I can't communicate with anybody. So that when the day he arrived on the airplane, they told him, okay, great. We got to run. We got to take you off for some fitness testing. So literally after he got off the plane for 24 hours or however long his plane was, he had to do a, a fitness run and each minute he was over the allotted time, which I can't remember what the time was. They would find him a certain amount of dollars. So he, he said, I, I got there, I put in my shorts and my, my shirt and I start running and, the guy, and I'm tired. It's a long day and I'm in Russia, you know, I'm, I haven't eaten, I'm dehydrated. And everything that goes with it, right? Just terrible, terrible mix up. And he ended up being three minutes late of this a lot of time. So he basically he's $30,000 in debt before he even has a chance to step his foot in his feet. So, and he's like, is this going to be the way it is? Is it every day or is it just a one thing, right? So he said, he took his hundred dollars. He paid the, the taxi uh, cab driver, gave him a hundred bucks US and said, please take me to the airport. So it was a quick, quick loop to loop. And he was back and in, in, ended up being in Boston, of course. Right. So, and these are the, these are some of the stories that you hear and, I'm sure a lot of them are obviously inflated and stuff, but it was oh. it was the eye opening for me. And and going to Germany, I've been to Germany before, so I, I knew what to expect. And I was 12 years old when I was able to go over there. So a beautiful country, and I knew a little bit. But the biggest reason I went over there that first year after the lockout season was two of the guys I played with that lockout year in 2004, 2005 were on the same team that was trying to bring me to Europe, which was Augsburg. So I was looking at it, I said, if I'm ever going to do it, worst case scenario, at least I have two guys, two buddies that I played with the year before. Yeah. We, can, we can make the best of it, right? So I ended up getting there and, and, and fell in love with the – it's way easier in the body. You're playing 40 games a season, uh, bigger ice surface, so less hitting. And as, being a skater, that was my big game, right? It was one of those things where I just wanted to skate for days and days and days, and that's what I wanted to do. So the opportunity to in, in, in Europe for me with the bigger ice worked out great for me and um, – to say I wish I would have went over earlier, no, because I missed so many opportunities. I would have missed opportunities going over early. But the lifestyle and and the, the is is it's comparable to the American League with half a schedule. Is how I would compare it. The travel is very good. Um, you get a yeah, basically a week long break twice throughout the season with the Olympic break, and each country has their own allotted tournament, the Deutschland Cup, wherever it may be. So you're over there and you have a break and it's so much easier to travel when you're over there. We had, there's a place in Germany called last minute Erlau, which was called last minute travel basically. So you show up at this, at the store and you say, yeah, I want to fly to Rome. I want to go to Venice, wherever you want to go. And it's literally like 60, 70 euros. Right. So once you're in Europe, the opportunity to to get around was phenomenal. And I definitely enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. So did you do it? Did you play sites here? Did you, did you really take in every place you went to as much as you could? I wish I would have done more looking back at it, but I had the opportunity to I mean, one year we, well, we went to Rome for, for the all-star break to one year and yeah. 
what an amazing place. Like I, I could spend the rest of my life there just looking at the history and the architecture. So yeah, totally. uh, looking back while I was there, I should have taken more advantage of it for sure. Um, but again, I was there to play hockey too. So you don't want to. Yeah, totally. Much, right. But how cool would a game be in the old Coliseum? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> outdoor yeah. Game. Wouldn't that be cool? Get yeah, the, get the NHL on that the the next outdoor uh, uh, <laughs> game. What a great opportunity! We can make some money off this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So Jay, at at that point, you know, when when does it start? You know, entering your brain a little bit about what your next chapter looks like. You know, what are you starting to build bridges at this point? You know, you talk about it was relationships that took you to Europe. What uh, what was in your mind at that time? Yeah. And to be honest, I don't know if I can properly answer that question because, you know, in the back of your mind, your time is running out, you know, you're 34, 35, 36, wherever your age may be. You're lucky if you can play till 37, 38. So you do know the time is there, it's yeah. fading away. But it's tough because this is your dream from a little kid. And, and now basically you're having people without silently telling you that your time is up. It, that's tough to take. Yes, absolutely. And to be able to play as long as I did and you put the work in and if you can keep your body in shape and stuff like that and, and you know, not big in alcohol and treat your body right, you have a, a little bit longer longevity. But at 35, opportunities were coming harder and harder to get. Um, so obviously that's the first right. eye open. Well, nobody wants me anymore. So that's the biggest thing. So and then you start looking around, you start making connections. And I got into coaching a little bit and um coaching was phenomenal you, you learn so many good things and, and one thing I would say I, I wish as a player I would have had the knowledge I do as a coach now because I would have been a, a much better player no question about it but at the time as a player you're just worried about yourself and performing that night right but as a and the opportunity I had to learn from a guy like Ryan McGill as a coach the detail that went into it um, I wish I would have understood that more as a player looking back for sure what, what one thing would you whisper back to your 18-year-old self that, as what you know now from the coaching and that? What it, do you think would be, would be long, the best value? It would be a long, long conversation. <laughs> It'd right? be a long but, whisper. <laughs> yeah, it would be. No, and, and that's the thing is I would just remind myself that how important the details are. And I think you learn that as you go throughout the years. And, and But as a coach, those little things is what leads to more ice time. Um, as there's so many things it leads to, right? The coach knows he can trust you and put you out in that opportunity. Um, whatever the case may be, if you're a centerman, I can trust you win this draw. Yep. And, you know, on, on a PK, we're going to win this draw, get it down and you're off. So these are all things that you build that confidence with the coach. People will say, well, coach likes you, coach likes you. Yeah, coaches like you, but the reason they like you is because you do what is asked. You're good at what is asked. You don't complain at what is asked. So when it comes down to that, yes, coaches – they're going to put the best people out on the ice they can. But as a coach, I'm going to put the best person, whether the, you know, I'll use an example as a, a puck being on the left face-off dot. Well, ideally, I'm going to like to have my right hand shot out there when it's drawn at the back end. Great. But if I have a guy I know is going to block shots and he's going to tie up the face-off and his winger's going to come in and help him out um, and he's not going to allow any pucks back down the half wall on the PK, those are the guys the coach is going to trust. At the end of the day, he's going to trust those people to get out there and when a coach trusts you, at least more ice time, and usually that leads to bigger production and opportunity. So, yeah. yes, coaching is, is tough, and coaches, no question, they have their favorites. But there's a reason coaches have their favorites, yeah. and that's the reality of it, right? So that's what I would I would tell myself looking back to 18 is just the little details that 
and how important some of those details are. So you went back to coaching in the WHL. Was that connection from when you played there or, or how did, how did that opportunity come to be? Yeah, it was, I mean, I, I ended up being with Ryan McGill. So after I was done playing, I, I got involved with uh, Alberta hockey, uh, just to get involved in coaching and just to, to stay involved in the game. That's the biggest yeah. thing is once you're out of the game, it is tough to work your way back in. Right. So I got into coaching, helping out with, with hockey, Alberta and ended up getting an opportunity to, to coach with Serge Lajoie at Nate as his assistant coach. So I ended up spending two years at Nate with him. And I, again, that was an eye opener. As a coach, you learn. Yep. I wish I could have gone back and appreciate the amount of time coaches put in with our team back in the day, right? As a, as a player, you're in the locker room for your 10-minute your meeting and then you're right, gone right. for lunch. And you assume the coaches went for lunch and do the same thing, right? But it's, it's completely different that way. Um, so again, the details I went into it and then the opportunity was um with with surge and to learn the, the game as well at nate and we were fortunate enough to win a, a championship at nate my second year there and then uh the opportunity came uh, as uh, i got working with ryan mcgill in, in cranbrook the opportunity was there and i i he only he didn't have any other assistant coaches so it's just me and him and sometimes i think that can be good and bad right whether you might have a d coach and a four coach right, but right. just to have the two of us and to learn again the detail that he taught me is what I'm referring to as, as, as a player looking back. I know I would have been a much better player looking at detail for sure, playing with that detail. And I know it would have led to different opportunities for me for sure. Yeah. Interesting. So from coaching, you know, tell us a bit about what you're doing now and, and you know, what, what'd you take from the game and, and uh, what do you have today and what, what's the road ahead look like for you, Jake? Yeah, I, I missed the hockey. I mean, as a kid, that's all I ever wanted to do. And that was a yeah. dream for me. And that's tough as, as a person when you're, you're 40 years old to basically say, well, I have to give up my dreams, right? And that is tough as any pro athlete. That's the reality of it. But um, the opportunity present. so when I was in Cranbrook, our, our goalie was Wyatt Hofflin. His mom ended up being, a, she's a vice president of Go Insurance, which is a, a company here in Edmonton. Yeah. So I was going through a separation at the time, my last year in, in, in Cranbrook. They wanted to bring me back for an additional three years, but obviously going through the separation, I need to be close to my family at that time. So I ended up reaching out to, to Wyatt's mom and uh, she said, yeah, once you, when you're back in town, just come on in for an interview and we'll go from there. So I, the day I got back, I, you know, I got put my suit on and got all dressed up and, you know, trying to get my business like mind and make sure I was all shaved up and ready to go. Yeah. Uh, so I had a good interview with her and that was May of 20, 2015, I guess it would have been. And she said, if you want the job, it's yours. And, you know, she's, she turned into a great friend for me. And as you know, as a, a I guess, a, an avenue outside of hockey, which is fantastic and have that. Right. So, but I guess going back and, and having hockey in your back pocket, that's all I ever want to do as a, as a coach player, whatever it may be, was just play hockey. And that's the tough part is when you're, you're 40 years old, you're searching for jobs, right? And that's whether it's coaching, playing, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So you have to have something in your back pocket to set yourself up for life. And you need something in your back pocket to make sure you're able to put food on the table for your, your kids and stuff, right? So so there, there's still a, a chapter ahead for you, a big chapter that you're, you know, you're pursuing those opportunities where you can. And Yeah, I mean, I don't want to close yeah. any chapter. I think that's yeah, important don't... no matter what is to, to have that open. Whether something comes or not, I don't know if that'll happen. I mean, if it does, great. If it doesn't, I'm also happy with where I'm at too. So, um, but yeah, say if someone in hockey came up and it was the right opportunity, I would love to get back into hockey for sure. Right on. When you look back at those, uh, all the people you, you played with, you got coached by, coached with, you know, McGill. 
what uh, are there any great you know leadership mentorship that uh, just really sits well with you today and and really thankful for looking back? Yeah, and I'll use Ryan as a perfect example. So he coached me. He was my assistant coach for the Empton Ice my very first year, and after we had a tough team, obviously being in being for, playing for Edmonton with a bunch of expansion players, which ultimately didn't work out great. But so he was the assistant coach my first year. Um, after that first year, they ended up hiring a hiring Ryan to take over for the team. So I, I knew Ryan as as a very young coach and. I, I knew he had passion back in the day, of course. And then once I, I turned pro, he, he was ended up getting a job with Hartford in the American Hockey League, which was who I played for for three weeks at that time. So to see the changes that went that happened for him so quickly, uh, obviously that in my back of my mind, I'm like, he's a hell of a hockey guy. To be able to where he was to now basically coaching pro players, helping out New York Rangers where he, this guy has some knowledge and he has some, a secret there that he knows, right? So something is there. So I had the opportunity again to play for him for those three weeks in Hartford and see a different side of him again. So in my mind, I'm like, you have to have different sides as a coach. And yeah. you look at that, every player is different, right? Some players need to be kissed all the time. And, no, sorry, not kissed, but uh, sarcastic is what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, so the, just, yeah. yeah. The- Handle and then another player, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they only succeed when they're when they're ridden hard, right? So, and that's as a as a coach, you learn that you can tell who I need to push, who I need to push, who I have to back off. So, those are things you learn along the way, and and to see where he went from an assistant coach in, in the Western League to to now, you know, a head, he's an assistant coach with Vegas now in, in the National Hockey League. So, to see where he goes and to see how he had to change and adapt, that definitely helps. As a as a up and coming coach, you have to do that, right? But I also feel it's important to to carve your own path. I think it's important to take hints and lessons from other people. But I, I, me, I don't like following someone else's path because that's their path. It's not mine. Let's take it to where I want it to go, right? So I do hope there's opportunities and paths out there. But I do think it's important to take them your own way as well. Right on. That's, Is that uh, one of the biggest things, Jay, with the coaching, the the dealing? Like the X's and O's are all one thing, but the the dealing with people, how important is that? To me, that's very important. I don't care yeah. what kind of job is it. And if you're, you know, working in a warehouse, I want my boss to say, Jay, I need you to lift this and move this over here. Okay, great communication. Let's do that, right? So I think communication is important, but to realize and to understand that every person is different and what makes them go is different. They, they could have a, a tough trouble at home, um, they might not have a home, whatever the case yeah. may be. Right. So every player is different. And I think as a coach, sometimes you guess wrong what they need and you find out the hard way and vice versa the other way. So, um, yeah, I do think it's important. Everyone is, is in a sense treated equally, but treated differently at the same point, you know, on a, on a general level. Yes. I treat everyone the same and with respect and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but then to, to learn as you go and okay, this person just needs a little bit extra push on this side of things. And oh, pull this guy back a little bit just because I can yeah. see that happening right so yeah I do think that's very important and I learned that um, from coaches obviously and to see different levels of you know seeing him as an assistant coach working up to a head coach to a head coach in American League and now the assistant coach in, in the National League it's pretty clear that that has to happen in my opinion right pretty cool you got to you know with McGill like just seeing that evolution of, of a coach and and seeing how they mature along the line and and do things differently and but i love what you're saying about you know you still you know appreciate that taking what you can but also at the same same time got to carve my own path uh, uh going forward so 
Yeah. And I've seen that the other way with, with coaches where, you know, let's say you have an assistant coach working with a head coach, that head coach moves on. Now that assistant coach that was there, instead of being his own person, he said, well, you know, you know, Jay Henderson was the head coach here before he had success. I want to be Jay Henderson. Just well, try, in try my opinion, everything. Yeah. 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 And that doesn't work either because you had your players that are there. They saw the coach in the way you were previously. Now they're seeing you change. So right away, their radar is up. Why is this guy changing? That's not who he is. So then your back is up. And I've seen that firsthand as a player. And to me, it's, that's a big thing. Is always be yourself. You can take lessons and stuff. But to be your, be your own person, that's the biggest thing, right? Oh, that's, my, that's a great, that's a great yeah, observation. Yeah. The, the, uh, yeah, he was, he was such a cool guy. He calmly talked to us and, and now he's screaming and yelling, <laughs> you know, yeah, kick, kicking totally, water bottles over yeah, and kicking, whatever, uh, kicking garbage cans right on. Yeah. And as a player, you know, if I see a guy who's very calm all the time and he's, you know, yeah, great job, Jay, you know, keep up good work. And all of a sudden he's, you know, he's kicking me in the, in the, in the butt and throwing water balls, knocking sticks over. Well, one of those two people, it wasn't real. So which one is it? And I got now me, I have to decipher that. Is it the guy that was here before or is it this new guy? Right. So I just, I like emotional people and hard people and, and delayed on the line. They let you know what you want and there's no guesswork. And that's what I always liked and I always wanted as a, as a player. So that's what I try and provide that back. Right. Yeah. Right on. Awesome. Well, Jay Henderson, the uh, Calder cup magnets uh, we, we've learned, yeah. uh, Thanks so much for joining us on the Top Cheddar Podcast. Uh, lots of fun hearing your story, your journey along the way. We we wish you nothing but great success uh, going ahead. You know whether that's uh, in the business world or or back into hockey with hockey, all that. Love it. So, uh, hey, Moner, that was a that was I a good. Yeah, yeah. Right Jay, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I certainly appreciate it. Yeah. And folks, if you haven't yet, head to topcheddar.ca. All of our interviews are there. And uh, you can definitely, you can find us on all the, the podcast platforms, your Apple, Spotify, Google. Uh, just uh, search up Top Cheddar. Lots of great interviews, this one and more. Uh, big thanks to our sponsor, twigginberries.ca. Go use the code Top Cheddar. You'll get 15% off your next purchase. All the great uh, men's uh, apparel that you could want, eh, Mooner? That's oh, some, yeah. uh, all the good stuff. So all the good stuff. Jay, thanks for joining us and uh, have a great day, everyone. Thanks guys.